the utility company CPS Energy has been in the past is not the utility company we are today and is not the utility company we need to be in the future. Winterstorm Uri is in our rearview mirror. We are not that entity anymore. I think we're doing a lot better job today. And when we get into these conversations about the future, my hope is that policymakers uh, and our community will recognize that we've heard them and that we're doing the best we can to respond to what they expect out of CPS Energy going forward. As the CEO of the municipally owned CPS Energy, Rudy Garza runs one of the nation's most unique utilities that requires him to balance energy management and sustainability. Garza wears a lot of hats as he navigates the challenging landscape of a municipally owned utility. His job is about a lot more than keeping the lights on. He also has to lead the way on investments in new generation plants while shaping a sustainable future. We'll explore his strategies for investing in clean, renewable energy that prepares the utility for our region's rapid growth. And we'll talk to him to learn when CPS Energy may need to go back to the City Council in search of a rate increase. With that, it's time to go beyond the bite with CPS Energy CEO, Rudy Garza. Just for our listeners, by way of background, so you came into the position as the interim CEO of CPS Energy in 2021, and you were selected as the permanent CEO in August of 2022. So is the job what you expected? It's a big job under any, in, under any respect. It's a big job. When I was asked to step into the interim role, it was, we were in crisis. You know, we were trying to get Past Winter Storm Uri, you know, we had uh, trust issues with the community that we were facing that uh, we needed to tackle head on. And, you know, we had some financial challenges in the moment that we were dealing with that needed, you know, counsel and, and board uh, input and support. You know, we, we were we just were in the in the in the mindset of, of stabilizing the organization, which my leadership team and I, uh, I think, accomplished in that moment. Uh, and since then, we've really been trying to put the organization on a path to, you know, to, to creating vision and executing a plan. I think under any circumstance, it is a big job. You know, the, the, the heaviness of being responsible for this critical infrastructure is not lost on me. You know, I love my job, but it is a big job. Now, on the trust issues, that, that stemmed from the previous administration. There were some issues that the council brought up. Uh, some of it was communication. Some of it was transparency. Um, and you just had to, and and you got asked when you went before city council to do a lot more community outreach. That's right. Well, remember the mayor also appointed the committee on emergency, you know, preparedness. And so, you know, there was a deep dive into all the things we could have done better during winter storm Mary. You know, I think we came out with 150 plus action items from, you know, the work done on that by that committee. Uh, but a lot of it had to do with transparency and accountability and communication uh, you know, how we executed our, you know, our, our controlled outage system and things that we could have done better. So uh, the utility, you know, company that is CPS Energy today is not the same utility company that we were two and a half years ago. We, we have made the changes we've needed to make, I think, to, to put us on the pathway to regaining that, that public trust. I want to go back a little in time when Rick Perry was governor. You know, the summer of, of uh, 2023 was a hot one. We had a lot of days over 100 degrees all over the state, but especially here in San Antonio, not a lot of rain on top of that where you get that little reprieve. And there were times both here in San Antonio and statewide where the supply and demand lines come very close together, especially ERCOT puts out alerts for the statewide grid. But I want to go back because you were with uh, AEP Power uh, at the time. TXU. 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 Okay. And at that time, our grid was based on a foundation of reliability. Well, I'll, I'll, let's go further back than that because uh, people sometimes don't know that I've been in this business for 30 years in both the public and private sectors. My private sector background is actually you know, more extensive than my public sector uh, background. Let's go back to George W. Bush. The, the market was actually deregulated back in 1999 under Senate Bill 7 when George Bush was president, primarily driven by Enron 
and you know the desire to you know to to wheel wholesale market uh, wholesale power around the state. So you know so when that policy was implemented prior to to, to Rick Perry, uh, it was implemented on the basis of being an energy only market, meaning that you were trying to get as efficient use of power across the market as possible, uh, which which policymakers believed would create low prices. Going back before deregulation, every utility com- company in the state looked just like CPS Energy, vertically integrated. Everybody, you know, we provided generation, transmission, distribution, and retail service under one umbrella. And back then, it was all about reliability. Once we started moving towards an energy-only market, the, the hope was that price signals in the wholesale market would signal to investors to start building power plants. And they did for a while. But but along came wind, along came renewables, which are great things. They help keep prices, uh, you know, low for customers. And they uh, diversify your your supply, right? And you diversify your supply. But over time, the market got so efficient that there was, you know, less and less opportunity to make, you know, uh, profit in the wholesale market. So once those profits started to dwindle, you know, investors backed off and said, "Well, I don't know that we need to be building power plants if we're not going to be able to turn a return." And that's kind of what's led us here. The market has gotten so efficient and produced such good prices that, you know, over time we haven't seen dispatchable generation like gas, you know, like coal, which you can't build coal anymore with environmental reg- regulations being what they are. So any dispatchable units that are going to be built in the future are going to be natural gas. Can't build nuclear because nuclear is too expensive. You know, um, the only places around the world that are building nuclear power right now are, are being funded by the federal government, you know, prepare, you know, France. You know, Europe, European countries are still building uh, nuclear, but you know the the nuclear plant being built in the Georgia, Mississippi area. I mean, it's billions and billions of dollars over you know budget, and so you just can't. It's difficult to build nuclear units. The last time we tried to build nuclear, you know, most of the executives you know who who were part of that process you know 15 years ago are no longer at CPS Energy because you know that debacle. So um, so that's kind of what's created the marketplace where we are today. And the the reason I wanted to bring up that little history and and how close uh, the supply and demand lines come to uh, come together is that you also have to deal with growth, right? Well, and growth growth is really why we are where we are. When you're not building power plants, you know, at the at the scale that that you really need to be to match growth, thousand new people a day are moving to Texas. We've got some large loads, uh, particularly here in San Antonio, in data centers. Um, that are coming that use a, an enormous amount of power. Uh, San Antonio is, you know, one of the fastest growing communities in the country. I'm setting 30,000 new meters a year in every direction, you know, here in San Antonio. So we, you know, we're probably a little bit ahead of where the state is in their planning process uh, in terms of, of having a generation plan that our communities kind of had some input in. But we got a lot of invest- investment to make in that in that plan, if we're go- if we're going to stay ahead of the growth in San Antonio, and we've always owned our own generation, so if we're going to continue with that philosophy, then you know there's some investment that we've got to make to replace old aging gas plants with some newer technology. Okay, I'm going to come back to the investments and the generation plan, but first, since we were talking about supply and demand, uh, CPS Energy came out with a color coded system, Correct. and the purpose of that was to educate uh, citizens to understand what kind of zone you're in. Talk about that system. And and my question to you is, how well is that working? It's working really well. One of the things that uh, we, we learned from Winter Storm Uri in the aftermath you know, of, of all that was that customers want information that they can do something with. They want to know, you know if, if we're going to be in some state of emergency or distress, you know, do they need to, to get out their emergency kit? Do they need to, you know, turn on their generator if they got their own generator? Do they need to go stay with the family member who might have more resiliency maybe than they have, you know, in their home? And so uh, that color-coded system really was to provide regular updates uh, to customers on, hey, are we in a green day, which means that all systems go, do your thing? Are we in a yellow day, which do- which means there's not necessarily a, um, you know, a, a an issue with the grid, but, you know, maybe it might be good to conserve so you can save money on your bill, you know, on a daily basis. Cause right now it's super hot, you know, and while gas prices are lower. And so we, our customers have seen savings from year over year from last year, cause gas prices were high last year. Um, they still need to do something in their own homes to maybe not 
wash clothes or run their washing, you know, their dishwasher, things that they can do to, to move that power off peak, you know, to help us conserve. But then when ERCOT is in um, some level of emergency condition, that's when the orange and red, you know, codes kick in uh, to tell customers, send a signal to customers that, hey, there's something going on in the grid that, that you need to be aware of. Uh, we've actually won awards for uh, for that system. Our customers respond every time we post uh, you know, to social media, our customers were responding to that information. I want to give a shout out, you know, to our corporate communications team and, and our customer team for putting that information out there on a daily basis because uh, it's had a real impact with our customers. Again, we're going to go back a couple of years um, to the pandemic because the pandemic had some major cascading impacts on CPS energy and two particular come to mind. The first one is... <laughs> that not only impacted CPS, but impacted every industry in this country and in the world. And that's a supply chain backlog. Specifically, when it comes to CPS, um, you've suffered, as all utilities have suffered, a shortage or a backlog of transformers and other equipment. Um, where are we today? How, um, from a percentage standpoint, where do you think we are today on those kinds of uh, backlogs? Well, our supply chain challenges persist. Uh, and it's not just a CPS energy issue. Utilities across the country are facing the same issues we are. And when there's a hurricane or some, you know, emergency event that happens along in the coastal regions, it just makes, exacerbates what's already a, a tight, you know, supply chain market. I think when, when it comes to the development community, they really focused in on transformers and transformers are still a, a challenge for us. I think that situation with transformers has gotten better. I've sent supply chain, you know, analysts all over the world looking for suppliers to to bring back home to 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 new equipment to CPS energy. Uh so I think because of the efforts that we've made there, uh we're in, we're in a little bit better position and I think it's going to get better continue to get better over time, but we've still got issues with poles. We've still got issues and it's not even the wood that's the issue. The issue is a constraint in East Texas where you take and treat the poles, you know, uh you know before they come to us. That's where the bottleneck is. Uh, and, you know, meters, you know, you can't, we can't provide service to customers if we can't run it through, a, you know, a meter base for safety purposes. And, and there's other, you know, smaller equipment that, that we're having challenges with. Even for the, th for the equipment that, that is coming in, it's still 300% in some cases more expensive than it used to be. And so that's putting cost pressure on our, on our financials that, that, you know, we, we can't lose sight of either. So this, the second issue that comes to mind that resulted from the pandemic was that a lot of people lost their jobs, which caused them to get behind in their bills. Talk about how bad that got and where you are today. Well, Eddie, we've received a lot of criticism, you know, from all over, you know, places all over the community for allowing, you know, our, our past due balances to grow. I will remind you that um, our board when we decided to suspend disconnects at the very beginning of the pandemic, waive late fees, that was done in full view of the board. And council also had to take action to approve, especially on the late fee side, uh, our ability to implement that policy. So that was a community decision. That wasn't CPS Energy leadership deciding we were going to you know, just kind of not worry about it. That was a community decision that was the right thing to do for a community that you know, primarily is uh, low-moderate income. You know, Our customer base... You know they're they're gonna they're gonna struggle at times to pay their bill, and we're probably a lot more lenient than most utilities. And we work harder with our customers to try to find solutions that meet their financial situation and and kind of meet the customer where they are. You know that policy kind of persisted through the pandemic for a couple of years, and even as we were coming out of the pandemic, we were thoughtful about reinstituting disconnects. Um, you know, and, and it took us a little while because then, you know, then we have when when it's really, really hot like it is right now or it's really, really cold, like we've had every you know cold season, you know, since the pandemic, we can't disconnect during those times. So you're kind of starting and stopping as you're trying to reinstitute disconnects. And now we're back in the summer where if it's over 100 degrees by law, by PUC regulation, we cannot disconnect when it's an ex when it's during extreme heat. So we're trying to manage as best we can, you know, the implications of those past two uh, balances, and they did grow. You know, at the peak, there were about $207 million. Uh, even though we've been in the heat of the summer over the last, 
probably 10 months. We really haven't been back to disconnects for a, even a full year yet, but we've brought that balance back down to about 172 million with over 50% of that being on um, uh, being on a payment plan. So we're managing that issue. It's not creating the kind of financial challenges that, you know, certain folks in the community want to keep, you know, coming back to. You know, I, the team has done a, an excellent job of working with customers to put them on a payment plan that'll get them back on track. Uh, we brought in a, a ton of revenue, uh, but every day, new, co- you know, old customers who have had challenges come off, you know, of, of, of a payment plan because they're caught up and new customers get on it. So that number changes, you know, those dynamics change every day, you know, just based on kind of the the, the nature of our business. Um, so we're going to continue to have to manage this, but it took us years, two years plus to get into this situation, and it's going to take us a couple of years to get out of it. So um, on that uh, line of the financial health, what about the rest of the the budget and right. your reserves? How do you feel like you're doing financially outside of the, the uh, past due bills? Yeah. So look. Our financials are strong. They remain strong. You know, I, I'm a $3.6.7 billion enterprise. You know, the, the way our financials work, Eddie, which, which a lot of folks may not understand outside of those who are close to us, we kind of have a flow of funds. Every year is its own year. And the next year we start over. And, you know, our revenue stream for the next year will drive next year's budget. Our current mm-hmm. revenue stream drives this year's budget. Uh, and so every year is kind of a year in and of itself. The metrics that we set, which are adjusted debt service coverage, days cash on hand, and our debt to equity, you know, ratios. Those are the metrics that our rating agencies look at. And, you know, by and large, those metrics are in good shape. You know, last year we finished um, our days cash on hand is typically the one a lot of folks focus on. We finished at 160 days, 66 days cash on hand. Each day is $4 million. Each day cash on hand is $4 million. So at the end of the last year, you know, when folks are saying CPS Energy, there's still folks in the community who are saying CPS Energy financials aren't in, in good situation. You know how much cash 166 days is? It's a billion dollars. We had a billion dollars in the bank, and people are being critical that somehow we're in, you know, financial constraint. When we go in for a rate for for a rate conversation with the board and the community, it's typically typically because those three kind of major financials that rating agencies are looking at are are stressed. When you look at a five year forward projection and you look at the things that we're going to have to invest in, which I think we'll we'll get into here in a little bit, um, you know, we have to pay attention to those financials which drive our bond rating. We're one of the highest bond rating uh, utilities in the industry. You know, in, in our region, we're like second. So so we pay attention to those bond ratings because that means we borrow money at a lower rate, which means we can put more money into infrastructure. Our bond rating drives the city's bond rating. So we're all constantly paying attention to those to those three key financial metrics to ensure that we're sending the right signal to our to our rating agencies that we're paying attention to the financial health of the uh, of of the organization. Doesn't mean we're having financial challenges. Yeah. Um, past due balances are a challenge, but it's not keeping us from making the investments that, that, we're, that we're making. It's just something we've got to manage. So my laptop is two years old, and every few months, Apple will send out a new operating system uh, download update. Tell me about the technology that CPS has and the challenges that you've had. I've heard you speak publicly to the fact that you all have an operating system uh, that is a little bit older and needs to be replaced. So most of our customers don't realize that we are running the equivalent of Windows 2000. Our system is 23 years old. And in, a, in three or four years from now, our vendors will stop supporting it, which means if it breaks, we're in trouble. And from a technology standpoint, that's ancient. That's every, yeah, it's, it's everything. I mean, it, it, if you just think about the advances in cybersecurity risk alone, you know, I think we've got a great cyber team. They do a great job of protecting our systems, but improving our technology will help us be, you know, better prepared, you know, when those attacks come because they come, you know, every day. So that's not investment that's discretionary. We have got to upgrade our systems to just deal with, the, the change in, in our industry from a customer standpoint, how customers want to be billed is different today than it was 20 years ago. 
So we have to be more flexible there. If you look at the solar systems that our customers are putting on their rooftops, we can treat those like a, a power plant for us if we had the right systems that allowed us to send signals to customers on pricing, you know, and how we share, you know, in in wholesale opportunities with our customers. We can't do some of those, you know, new new you know sharing those new opportunities uh, today that we need to. Battery storage is coming, you know, into play. There's there's all kinds of things that we need to be able to do. To, to give our customers what they're asking for, to ensure, you know, we're, we're protecting our systems from a cyber standpoint uh, the way we need to. And, you know, that and to upgrade what we call our enterprise resource planning system, our ERP system, that's a 250 to $300 million, you know, proposition. When we start talking about rates, you know, when we come in for, for, for rate conversations, it's typically because there's an extraordinary expense that's that's popped up in terms of investment that we have to make that's not baked into our current budget. When we were building power plants, we would come in for rate increases. You know, this is critical infrastructure. So for us, technology, uh, you know, is, is a focus. That will be a focus of, of, of our conversation with the board and, and council, um, you know, this year. Growth, you know, we're still not, you know, we don't have growth baked into our baseline budget the way we see it every day you know, every year. Um, so growth continues to be a factor. Uh, we've executed successfully on our people strategy two and a half years ago when I took over Eddie or two years ago now, things were so volatile with our, with our workforce that our, our retention rates had, you know, had climbed up to about 12%, you know, our attrition, you know, we implemented part of the last rate case conversation was, you know, to, to make sure we got our people strategy, right. Well, all the things we've done in that regard has brought that attrition rate down from 12% to 6%. That's the kind of results that we're looking for. That's the kind of investment we have to make, you know, to ensure that we have the people, you know, and the skills that we need to run a utility company that's as complex as any utility company in the country. And I guess uh, to one extent, it's hard enough to deal with turnover, labor turnover, worker turnover. um, But you're doing that during a national labor shortage. Absolutely. And so you have to go above and beyond to try to recruit and retain. Right. You know, and, and to, to our team's credit, we've hired over the last two, two and a half years, about 500 people. You know, we, I mean, we had a, a huge outflux of talent a couple of years ago, and we've been trying to catch up since then. We've got down to about 2,800 employees. That is unacceptable for a utility company our size. And, and I, was, I was honest with the, with, the, with the council and our board that that, that wasn't a sustainable, you know, level of, 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 of people uh, that we need to run this utility. We're back up to about 3,400 employees, which I feel uh, pretty good about. But it, it's a constant grind, you know, to to find the talent we need to to run our utility. But I will tell you, of all the things that we might find savings, you know, in to try to be as efficient as, as we can be, you know, I'm going to invest in our people because, you know, that's just not, an, you know, get what you pay for. And, and I want the best. San Antonio deserves the best talent we can find to run to run what is a critical, you know, asset for this community. Well, you don't think about needing the best on a regular basis until Storm Uri hits, right? Uh, and you have pole workers and truck drivers and uh, folks uh, going up in the bucket to to fix what needs to be fixed. You don't think about it until your operating system goes down, right. and you have difficulty uh, billing people or uh, managing supply and demand. Yeah. Well, you know what else our system does. We're the billing system for the city. So when it comes to parks and rec fees and solid waste fees, if our system goes down, the city system goes down because we bill for, for the city of San Antonio as well. So people, a lot of people don't realize that when you look at your bill, there's actually some city services on the bill that, you know, we, we, we've agreed through, through a you know, mutual agreement to, to bill for. So the city's got a vested interest in us upgrading our system as well. So this is not discretionary. It's really essential. No. I mean, whether we get future rate increases or not, this money will get spent. Where Where are you in the process of going through the process of implementing a new system, choosing, yeah. selecting, and so, then implementing? Two years ago, you know, um, when when we work with the city on on making you know uh, additional rate investment, you know, we want to deal with knowns. And what we knew two years ago was we didn't know what the actual cost of the system was going to be because we hadn't run our, our request for proposal process yet. Um, the, the, what was put in the last rate increase was 3.85%, give or take, uh, was the planning work necessary to get the RFP together, 
to do the visioning work and and to get an RFP out on the street. RFPs out on the street. We've gotten bids back. We're in the process of doing demos with the companies that that we believe uh, once we've done the evaluation are, are, are our best options. And you know, towards the end of the year, we'll select a vendor. Uh, we weren't going to put the a, a a an estimate in there last time. What what was put in there was about twenty million dollars, give or take. Uh, a year for the planning work it was going to take to get to this point. Now we're at the point where we can select a technology, we can select an implementation partner, and we can go. And then the quicker we can get this, you know, done effectively, uh, the better off, you know, our our, our utility is going to be. So a minute ago we were talking about the financial health of the um, utility and the credit rating agencies work very closely with you, but they were there watching what you decided to do and what how council voted on the last rate increase. But are they not looking for the next rate increase? So nobody talks to rating agencies uh, more than I do as it relates to how they view our utility, except maybe my CFO, Corey Kaczynski, and his team. You know, they, they're, they're kind of the day-to-day uh, contacts. But I've been up to New York City visiting with them. Uh, I've spoken at investor you know, meetings up there where our, where our, our rating agencies are, uh, and they've come down to see us here. Uh, and the primary driver of how our rating agencies view risk as it pertains to CPS energy isn't so much the increase we get in that, in that moment. It's our ability to go to our, our, our owner and our regulator and, and, and successfully execute a rate request when it's necessary. So they just have to know that we have the ability to go when we need to. Uh, and, and, and look, we've had, you know, again, you know, f- folks want to have criticized, you know, uh, our financial state having declined over Rudy Garza's tenure as CEO. That is absolute nonsense. That, that, that is not a factual statement. Our re- bond ratings have been reaffirmed time and time and time again. We go into the market you know, when we go into the market, it's for hundreds of millions of dollars. It's for a billion dollars. We, you know, every utility company that's the size of CPS Energy, we're making billion-dollar decisions on an annual basis. Um, so every time we do that, there's an opportunity for the rating agencies to take a look at our state and say whether or not they they think we're worthy of of you know the double A plus you know double A minus credit ratings that we bring to the table, which most utilities are in junk bond status. That's you know, the private sector, you know, and the public sector are two very different, you know, uh, worlds when it comes to, to utility finances. Uh, and I feel really proud of the fact that we've been able time and time again to get reaffirmed at a very high level. So, you know, if you go back to the last debate with city council where they had to discuss and debate and vote on the 3.85%, uh, I think it was Councilwoman Adriana Rocha Garcia said – uh, to the, all those people who say this is not a good time uh, to raise CPS rates, she came back and she said, is there ever really a good time to raise rates? So several council members followed with that same thing, and they decided that it was in the best interest at the time to move forward. What I want to do is is I want to go back to that date. It was January of 2022 and play this uh, soundbite from Councilwoman Adriana Rocha Garcia. For years, others have passed the buck. That's the reality. Others on this council have also passed the buck. In fact, at the beginning of the rate increase conversation, when it started out at a 10% increase, my rack appointee and Mr. Onofre knew that the impact on low-income, energy-burdened customers, like the ones we call our neighbors, would be extreme. And he pushed back because he knew I would push back. The Municipal Utilities Committee that I sit on had already made this an issue. So the RAC made a case to have that impact analyzed and ultimately reduce the percentage that was being proposed. And there was various options presented, and Mr. Onofre presented me each one of those scenarios. And each time, the RAC made CPS justify the amounts they would present until eventually they got to 3.85% as a compromise. We went eight years at one point in time until our last rate increase uh, without a rate increase. Uh, and that is not a achievement to be celebrated. Our strategy with our community is to come in more frequently, even if it's just, you know, to, as a checking point on where, where we are financially and, and what the need might be. But uh, my strategy has been to deal with knowns, 
rather than estimates. So when we come in, we're going to know exactly what the need is and why. It's always a difficult ask. Nobody wants a rate increase. Council politicians don't want to vote on a rate increase. I don't blame them. It's the hardest. It's probably the hardest thing they have to do. But CPS Energy is as critical an infrastructure as anything else, if not more so. But isn't that what they get elected to do is to make hard decisions? They absolutely get elected to make hard decisions. And um, the fact is they own a utility. They own one of the best utility companies in the country. And to keep it the best, they're going to have to continue to make investments when it's necessary. And so, um, you know, so every time they pass the buck, and, and when I say pass the buck, if we were to come in and they vote us down, all that means is the next rate increase we come in, we're going to come in asking for more. So we can take the need in small bites and try to manage the affordability impacts to our customer, to our community as we go, or they're going to have to come in and pass a, you know, 10%, you know, rate increase down the road. And so, so our strategy is, you know, to take it in smaller bites, to manage our financials as best we can, you know, through that process uh, and to be clear with the community what they're getting in return. I think we've done a disservice to our community having gone so many years just kicking the can down the road. I'm not here to kick any cans down the road, Eddie. You know, as, as with Rudy Garza and my leadership team, you know, uh, uh, responsible, you know, stewards of a community asset, our job is to come in however difficult the timing might be and ensure that the city and, and our board understands what we need so we can we can stay, you know, uh, uh, a leader in our industry. That's, you know, this isn't about them voting for or against Rudy Garza or them for, voting for or against my leadership team. It's about, you know, no different than when Sauce came in for multiple rate increases to, to get Vista Ridge done. That's created 50 years worth of water capacity for San Antonio that's going to help with growth. The city comes in for billion-dollar bond packages to pay for roads and to invest in infrastructure, you know, because it's necessary. Our need is no different. And I would tell you, without CPS Energy, without getting electric and gas infrastructure right, we got to get ours right before anything else is done, or we can't support the growth, uh, uh, you know, uh, of this community. And every day that passes, our assets get older, our power plants get closer to the end when we're going to have to shut them down, whether we have new capacity in place or not, and go buy power in the market and expose our customers to whatever risk might come from the volatility, you know, of the energy market. So we're trying to be thoughtful. In, in how we plan for the future. We've got a good plan in Vision 2027. I would encourage people to go out to our website and check it out. If you don't agree with it, you know, with the things that you see there, tell us what you don't agree with and why, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll modify our plan as we go forward. That Vision 2027, is, it's, it's meant to be, um, to be a living document, you know? And so, so if you want to know what our priorities are right now, that's what those are what our priorities are. So to all those people who want you to get rid of the coal plants faster, there there's only a couple ways to do that. You either have to modernize another plant that you have now or you have to build a new generation plant and uh, both of those are uh, big ticket items. There is no modernization of our generation fleet without rate support. This doesn't happen. And so all of those things, and to those people who want cleaner energy supplies, those also require millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to build new facilities. Uh, the, the work that we've done to expand our solar portfolio uh, has actually been in our financial plan you know, for the last three or four or five years. We're executing on that now. We should get another 600, five, 600 megawatts of solar uh, here between now and the end of the year. That would be built over the next three years. That that would be done through a purchase power agreement. So we don't own it. We buy the power that's produced by you know a, a third party. Um, most of those costs run through our fuels costs you know on the bill. So they don't necessarily require a rate case uh, to support those. That's already been in our financial plan. And I will tell you, this summer, solar and wind have 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 been relied on to to keep the grid you know afloat. Um, so do we need more dispatchable power? Absolutely. And that's part of our plan. But we can also use every megawatt of power we can possibly get our hands on, including the power that our customers are producing uh, uh, on their own sites. So let's move, let's move along into the next category, and that is where do, where do our sources come from now? Yeah. Uh, because you also did a customer survey to see what people uh, wanted, and they do want uh, cleaner sources of energy. I think our strategy on generation 
And, and it goes all the way back to Mayor Lila Cockrell, who thought we were over-levered on natural gas back in the day and wanted to see us diversify uh, our portfolio. Right now, uh, our, our portfolio is 46% natural gas, uh, and, and we'll continue to use natural gas. Um, you know, my friends, you know, Didi Belmadas and folks in the environmental community, which would like us to move away from natural gas, we are testing every other technology possible right now to try to give us some more options that will allow us over time to move away from natural gas. Well, but Let me interrupt you right here, because I think this is a critical point to those right. people who want clean energy. You also have a major factor in this community that wants affordable energy. Right. So you, I would assume, have to balance both clean energy and affordable energy, and right. clean energy isn't always affordable. Well, again, if you do it in a thoughtful way, it, it can be affordable. It should be affordable, and that's the way CPS Energy is. That's the approach we've taken. Um, my my first job, I'm not CEO of CPS Energy if I can't keep the lights on. So my number one job is maintaining a reliable system. My second job is to ensure that that reliable system is is as affordable as possible. Now, CPS Energy gets some of the best rates for solar power in the market. And so, again, there's a there's an amount of solar that makes sense for us. Um, you know, we still have about 20% coal. That will change by, by 2028 if we stay on the current trajectory. We'll, we would shut one coal unit down, transition the, the second uh, spruce unit to natural gas, and really – that unit would would be there f- just for insurance purposes. We turn it on when we needed it, you know, when the market got tight, when the market, de- you know, uh, dictated running that gas plant, we would run it. We'd run it for reliability purposes, um, you know, so that really becomes an insurance policy for reliability for us. 21% renewables right now, that number will grow. Uh, it'll likely be 30% by the time we get through uh, with, with our current uh, solar RFP process. We still have 14% nuclear. And then we've still got uh, uh, some small battery storage facilities that will grow over time. We, we will invest more in battery storage, which actually makes our, our solar capacity uh, more, more uh, valuable. So we are continuing to execute on a diversified portfolio strategy. And is geothermal an option? Ge- geothermal, we are actually on a geothermal seam. We could tr- transition potentially the spruce one unit because all the components you'd still need. It's just how you create the heat. Um, you know, that's, that's the challenge. So, um, you know, we've gotten uh, some outreach from some ranchers who have some geothermal uh, capacity on, on their ranches that we're exploring right now. But I'd like to, I'd like, honestly, I'd like to be the first utility in the state of Texas to make geothermal work. If you go back to January 13, 2022, when council debated the 3.85% rate increase. I want to play this clip from Councilman Mario Bravo at City Council A session. When I look at, is the 3.85% reasonable? And I look at inflation and the fact that CPS Energy is not operating in a bubble. And so the last time there was a, a rate adjustment with CPS Energy was in February 2014. And since then, inflation has gone up 18.75%. So we have this slide that, that shows the, the consumer price index over time, you know, over the last 20 years. And when you look at, at inflationary pressure that everybody sees in their groceries and, and the fuel price that they pay and, and the, you know, everything that they buy from a consumer product standpoint – um, you know, uh, our ability to manage that impact on on utility prices in San Antonio, we've beat that by about thirty about thirty eight percent, which which happens because we're good stewards of this asset. You know, I mean, we, when you go eight years without a rate increase, Eddie, you have to get as efficient as you possibly can get, and that led to some real challenges for us that we're trying, you know, to kind of right size right now, but. We're as, about as efficient as we can be given the inflationary pressures, but you, we don't live in a bubble. But when prices go up, you know, our price go, our, the prices that we pay for things go up too, and uh, our rates have to reflect that reality. Since you were talking about uh, this rate increase last year, which the council agreed to, at that time you said this would not be the only one, that you would have to come back in a couple of years for a second one. So it should come as no surprise to the council that you are on your way back uh, later this year to be able to ask for a second rate increase. Talk about all the components that go into how you even determine 
what uh, an appropriate number is for a rate increase. So our approach since uh, I've taken over uh, this utility, Eddie, has been full transparency with the city. Our people go over there every month. We show them our budget. We show them, you know, where the cost pressures are. Uh, we show them what the revenues look like. We talk about, you know, our expectations for the year. The same way the same way the city does LEs to council, you know, uh, latest estimates, we do LEs to our board and we show those numbers uh, to council. So, so we're not coming in every two years and just dropping financials on, you know, the city's financial team and, and reconciling. We're doing that. We're having that conversation every month. And that partnership, and I'm gonna, I want to come back, that idea of partnership is, is a change in, in kind of where we have been in the past. Uh, Eric Walsh and I have known each other ever since I've, I've, I've come to San Antonio. Our, our boys played football together uh, at Antonian. Uh, I respect him. I think he's a fantastic city manager. You know, I spent time in City Hall down in Corpus Christi uh, as an assistant city manager once upon a time. So I'm probably more so than most utility CEOs that he's dealt with. I understand what Eric deal, you know, uh, what Eric deals with on a on a regular basis. I, you know, I want I don't want him to have to worry about CPS Energy. Quite frankly, you know, my job is to run the utility, you know, to the best of my ability and to send him the return that the city uh, rightfully uh, expects, you know, uh, every month so that they can go do the great things that they do providing services to our community. So, you know, my job is to maximize, you know, the the city's return to the extent I can. You want to talk about financial success? Last year, we sent 430, you know, we sent so much money to the city that they had to give, find a way to give some of it back. Okay, so when I think about you know, financial success for my own financial portfolio, you know, I want, I want those returns to be maximized. Well, that's how I see my responsibility, you know, to my city owner. So, um, so we're operating in full transparency. My goal as we go in every couple of years, you know, you know, again, the timing, you know, in our financial plan suggests that we'll be back this fall. We'll be back a couple of years from now, you know, to start really making investments in our generation plan uh, in the way that we need to. Um, so, so we're going to do those reconciliations monthly so that when we get to the point where we actually have to come in and, and talk to the board and city council about, about an increase of some, of some scale, um, and nothing is a surprise. You know, this year, you're not going to hear anything from CPS Energy that's new that we didn't talk about two years ago. And two years from now, you're not going to hear anything new two years from now, you know, that, they, that, that we don't hear, you know, this year. Because... We're, we're trying to operate as transparently and openly as we possibly can. Again, it's not fun. Nobody likes, you know, I don't like to, to be the CEO asking for multiple rate increases over my tenure at CPS Energy. But if we want to be the best utility company uh, in the country that our customers expect out of us, you got to make thoughtful investments. Uh, and, and I will tell you this, I have been through four rate increases, two at the Public Utility Commission and now two at the city. And the city's process for validating our need is every bit as rigorous as the Public Utility Commission at the state level. So I have a ton of respect for Ben Gorzell, uh, the city CFO. I think he does a fantastic job. Uh, I think the city challenges us appropriately. Uh, and I think that we do our job, you know, uh, proving up, you know, what, 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 what the case is. Um, but, you know, it's a balance. And, you know, and if we do it right, then, you know, the city and CPS Energy are standing side by side saying this is the right number for all these reasons. And, and that's kind of how the process is meant to work. In January 2022, uh, several council members asked you to conduct a third party independent study of CPS Energy financials, operations, management. You went back to city council, I believe it was June 1st of this year. What were the results of those uh, observations from that study? So we hired uh, a third party by the name of Daymark. And Daymark uh, dug into, and that was a process led by the board. I had no input into that process. Our job uh, was to give them the, you know, they went through a series of, of, of information requests of us. They looked at our financials. They looked at our business plans. They looked at all the documents that, that we had available to them. Uh, and, and they brought back to the board a set of, 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 of really observations and, and recommendations uh, that said, here's some things that you should be thinking about. Uh, that information is on our website. So I would encourage 
our community, anybody interested, can go and do a a search on the Daymark Report, and they'll find it, you know, prominently, you know, on our website. But really, their their observations and, and their recommendations centered on a few things: uh, the financial health of the of the organization. They observed that there are investments that have to be made. Something we already know that we've got aging infrastructure that's got to be uh, upgraded, and that's going to take. Um, you know, financial commitment on behalf of the community. And it's going to challenge affordability, quite frankly. But but I think we've got, you know, the right plan that allow us um, to figure, you know, to figure that out. How we're engaging our customers. You know, again, their observation was we probably do a lot of things that most utilities uh, don't do. Uh, but that's an expectation of our of our board and of our council that we've executed on. We knock on doors you know, for customers that might not be able to get to us. Those are things most utilities don't do uh, that we're doing. And so so they had a set of observations on customer engagement and then operational excellence. What are we doing to be the best that we can possibly be? Uh, are we making good investments in maintaining our power plants? Are we pla- replacing, you know, poles and wires and critical infrastructure at the right level? Are we investing in our gas utility? You know, we own the fourth largest gas utility in the state of Texas. That gas utility presents safety risk for our community if we don't get that right. Are we making the right investments in our gas system? Um, and so that's really what you're going to see uh, when you get into that report. But, you know, we were we were transparent in that, um, you know, the things that we saw and heard there have already gone into our business plans. We're executing on those on a regular, you know, today uh, and going forward. We'll update the board and the community as we're checking things off the list. So, uh, I feel really good that the things that we heard from council, our board has taken uh, in, under consideration and has done something with. So I want to talk a little bit about the future. You recently attended a press conference at La Hacienda de los Barrios, um, where they installed carports to be able to provide shaded parking to their customers. But on top of the carports are solar panels where they're able to uh, generate some uh, extra electricity that they can turn around and sell back to CPS. Talk about how, um, is, is that what we're going to be seeing in the future, more of these uh, small, outside of the, the large generation plants? Are we going to be seeing more of these little microgrids or micro-generation facilities? Customers have to be part of the equation. Customers are wanting to have more ownership and um, and insight input into how they they generate and utilize, utilize power. Let me start by congratulating congratulating Diana uh, and Louis Barrios and the Barrios family. It's a great investment. We've got probably over three hundred megawatts right now of customer solar on their homes or on their businesses. That's part of the equation, you know. When 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 those systems are generating power. We can take the excess power that that it creates on our system, sell that into the open market, bring in some wholesale revenue. It helps lessen the the burden on our on our customers when we're able to do that. So it creates flexibility. And so, from my standpoint, you know, when once we get to the other side of our system upgrades that we talked about earlier, I think that's going to create more opportunities for our customers to really share in the responsibility of uh, the resources that we need to serve a growing community. So it's going to continue to be part of our strategy, Eddie. I think we can do better and and be more open to the things customers want to do. Uh, you know, think about this, his investment and and the benefit it's going to create for him, for his business, um, you know, for the Barrios family business actually it benefits the entire customer base. So it sounds like everybody wins. Everybody the, the, wins. The, the Barrios family wins from a business standpoint because they're already starting to construct similar carports at a second yeah, uh, restaurant. Yeah, Las Ventanas, right. And uh, CPS wins and the rate payers win. Right. So it sounds like a winning formula. It's a winning. It's a win-win for the entire community. So finally, I want to close on this message. Tell me what you would like for the public to know about CPS Energy as as you move forward for the balance of the year, and what would you like for city council members to know about CPS? Or as as a follow up, they gave you a big to do list uh, in January 2022, and I, it, from my conversations with you, you're 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 prepared to go back and with your checklist to show check marks by everything that that was asked of you. 
what I would tell um, the community, you know, as a whole, which includes city council and my board and our employees and everybody who cares about the health of CPS Energy, is that nobody takes, you know, the responsibility that my team and I have, you know, more seriously than than we do. You know, our our linemen go out, you know, away from their families at night and on holidays and on weekends uh, to get power back on. The work that our power that our power plant employees are doing this summer to keep our power plants running has been phenomenal, phenomenal. We've had a great, great summer run season. We had a great winter run season, you know, last time. We have not had a system wide issue, you know, since Winter Storm Uri uh, in San Antonio. Uh, and and my job is to keep the lights on, and to be accountable to the community, and to stand up there when council members have questions about what we're doing and defend them you know, uh, and explain them to, to the best uh, of my ability. But we're stewards of an asset. It's a community asset. Uh, and and I want to give our employees the best opportunity they have to be successful, you know, in, in, in maintaining what is a, a increasingly complex system. You know, San Antonio's changing. The utility industry as a whole is changing. And we got to get ahead of that. And we've got the right plans in place. And those right plans are going to take investment in critical infrastructure to ensure that customers don't have to worry about CPS energy. I don't want anybody. I don't want our council worrying about the job that we're doing. I don't want our customers worrying about the job we're doing. I don't want employees to worry that we're not going to have the resources we need, you know, to effectively do our jobs. And we got to do all of that in an affordable manner. I get it. I get the expectation um, that our community has on us and we're doing the best we can to deliver that, you know, in, in an acceptable manner. Uh, but uh, but I think that, you know, I, I keep saying this, and, and maybe this is a good place to close, uh, Eddie. The, the utility company CPS Energy has been in the past is not the utility company we are today and is not the utility company we need to be in the future. Winterstorm Uri is in our rearview mirror. We are not that entity anymore. I think we're doing a lot better job today. And, and when we get into these conversations about the future, you know, my, my hope is that policymakers... Uh, and our community will recognize that we've heard them and that we're doing the best we can to respond to what they expect out of CPS Energy going forward. Now that the city council has finished their work on the city budget, they'll be turning their attention to CPS Energy and the utilities needs for our growing region. So stay tuned. Beyond the Bite is a production of Aldrete Strategic Partners and is edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media. That does it for this episode. As always, we thank you for listening.